we talk about music, music news, music stuff, and anything else that comes up. Hey, Austin. Hi, Talia. How's it going? Good. So I thought, you know, you guys have been with us for a while and um, gotten to know us a little bit, but we thought we'd take a minute to introduce ourselves, a little bit of our background um, as regards to music. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So from about 14 on, I grew up in Chicago. So that had a lot to do with my history with music, um, especially electronic music, house music. I um, started listening to that when I was probably about 16, uh, and that's... I got mixtapes from some friends. Sweet. Yeah. And in order to see these DJs, I had to go to parties, right. go to these raves. So I really got into it. And um, I spend all of, all of my weekends at these parties. My friends would never see me unless they went with me. Right. Yeah. They knew that was the deal. I, uh, I wanted to make my own because, you know, you get these tapes and you're like, hey, uh, I like this song, this song, and this song, but I think I could mix that better. Yeah. So bought myself some turntables and taught myself how to mix. That's awesome. Yeah. It was pretty cool. And when I got out of high school, um, I decided to go to school for music business because, you know, while I've done a few parties, I don't really like being in the limelight. I really kind of like behind the scenes. So I graduated from Columbia College in Chicago in 2005. I uh, worked for Amp Records, which is Columbia's not-for-profit student-run record label while I was there. And um, it did some small work for some house labels around the city. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, life happens. Right. Became a parent. And so now having this outlet is kind of cool to be able to write about music and talk about music with you. Yeah. It's pretty cool. An excuse to listen to more music. True. Yeah. I I kind of went the other route. I grew up in a pretty musical home. Uh, So my dad plays piano and clarinet. He slays the clarinet. Damn. Um, so when I was young, my parents were always very encouraging, buying me different instruments and kind of getting me lessons. So by the time I was 13 or 14, I could play guitar and bass and drums and banjo and keyboard, um, and started recording my own music, um, and got really into like punk and hardcore and that whole scene, um, started putting on shows in the little town that I was in at the time. And then uh, when it came time for college, I went and got a recording arts degree for like audio engineering. Um, since then, I've worked at a couple of studios and done live sound for a few things, um, which is actually kind of, I guess, how we really became a lot closer. Yeah. Was through that, um, you know, me working on your system or whatever. Yep. Have you come out and run it? Yep. Just helped out in this case because you know how to rig this so we right. can talk to you guys. <laughs> That's awesome. So you have a lot of background and different music. Yeah. Yeah, my, my background is in a lot more DIY and, um, I guess, more aggressive genres, I would say. Yeah, some things that I don't really, I don't go down that path. Yeah, I like I like some screaming every now and then. You do. And I let you have that. I just appreciate don't, that. Just don't share that while, while I'm around. Yeah. And I'm totally okay <laughs> with that. I think the one genre that we can all agree on is electronic music. Yes. And some pop. Oh, yeah. That we both really like. Um, but today we really want to talk about EDM. Yes, the the umbrella that is EDM. Right. That it... So for the uninitiated or the unaware, EDM stands for electronic dance music, which literally means any music that's created with electronic instruments. Correct. Be that a you know, computer, keyboard, synthesizer, whatever, uh, that you can dance to. 
Right. And now EDM is a newer term, but electronic music has been around for decades. Right. Since... Before us. Totally before us, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it started gaining more popularity in, you know, early to mid-80s. Right. Um, but back then it was this underground culture. It was, I don't want to say suppressed, but... Yeah, I mean, there have, there have been spikes in electronic music popularity throughout the years. You know, especially in the 80s when I think the drum machines and synthesizers became more attainable. People started to write and work a lot more with them. And so you started to hear more of those elements in popular music. Right, I get that. You hear some of the elements in the music, but that's just maybe in, you know, one or two of these artists' songs that, right. that got popular. They might, you know, have a nice uh, guitar or a, or a solo happening. Or, right, or a, a sick, sick beat. Yes. <laughs> but they're not what you would call necessarily electronic music or dance music right. at that point. But let, let's talk about EDM a little bit. So this started becoming popular... Recently, very recently, a couple years ago. Yeah, maybe... Last... I would say maybe 2012. Yeah. Probably at its peak around that time where we've got um, the uh, infamous dubstep... Yep. Barf. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> not my thing. And there's all sorts of sub-genres, of course, since EDM. Right. I mean, even... Even within house music itself, there are at least 20 or more different kinds of house music. You right. Know, deep house, uh, Chicago house. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's very similar to saying, like, I like rock music. The rock music umbrella could encapsulate it's everything. An alternative, from, yeah, hard rock, metal, or even. even. Like, like soft rock to black metal. Like, that's it's a, it's it's a, a pretty big spectrum. It's a big net, yeah. Right. I mean, I remember at parties, you know, there would be different rooms because the people that liked house music weren't always the same people that liked jungle and drum and bass. They're usually two totally different. Like, to me, that's the difference between soft rock and, and metal. Right. Right. Um, you know, or if you're like me, you, you like it all. So you just kind of hop around <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, I it, it took me a while to kind of understand and get into... Well, I'm still not into EDM. I mean, the whole the concept, and it's it's not the same as electronic music was before. I think it's made and and processed to be popular and to be sort of these. I don't want to say one hit wonders because they all sound the same. But I think yeah, I think that EDM as a whole, be it something that's going to be you know kind of more housey or dubstepy or even trap, is really designed to be very commercial. But also to be, instead of like, whereas um, like rave culture or a lot of like underground rock genres mm -hmm. were designed to be kind of offensive and confrontational, it's meant to be more welcoming. My dad likes Avicii songs. The other big thing with EDM, I well, think... Well, I mean, and now you can hear these songs on the radio. I hear, I hear Calvin Harris on the radio. Right. But then, you know, he also has, you know, a residency in, in Vegas like Britney Spears does. Right. Very true. So it's made for the masses. Yeah. Well, and, and I think a lot of EDM, or if, if we're going to go that far to say EDM culture, revolves is around... Is that a thing? Culture? Is there a culture for EDM? Well, I think that the, the EDM culture is festival culture. Okay. So, so I was going to say, I don't, I don't really... I look at EDM like pop music. Right. 
where they don't, it, it's not exclusive to any one group. I don't, I couldn't look at someone and be like, ooh, they like EDM or ooh, they like pop music. Right. You know, like it could encompass a wide array of people. And I don't see them like rave obviously has a big culture. And most of the parties and gatherings are based on that. Mm -hmm. And the music. Right. Not just. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the thing with with these festivals with EDM is that it's really all about the experience. So it's not necessarily, you know, if if I'm going to go to like Electric Daisy, right. um, I'm not necessarily going to hear music that I think is going to change my life or have a, an experience <laughs> with music. I'm going to The have, drugs might do that, right, but I might. don't think the music they might. will. Yeah, if I could afford it after I bought that $300 ticket. Seriously. Uh, do you know how many people go to these festivals? No. Like last year, Ultra Alone had 165,000. I can't even comprehend that. I can't yeah. because the parties I would go to... We would, you know, I mean, it would be anywhere from 50 people. We would get up to maybe 2,000. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and, and that was a, like... If you get a couple thousand, that's a huge party. Yeah, success, right? Yeah, you're waiting outside for, for an hour or so. Huge success. But can you can you imagine how big of a business this is? 165,000 people each paying 300 bucks. Right. Well, that's, that's, that's the benefit of having this umbrella EDM term is that it's branding. Yeah. So it, it makes that it makes those festivals and those artists easily marketable because you can say, okay, even though um, you know someone like Skrillex is going to sound a lot different than someone like Calvin Harris, mm-hmm. chances are because it falls under this big brand, everyone's like cool it. with it, right? Yeah, and that's why I'm shocked that all of these festivals sell out before they announce their lineup. Right. Well, and that's because it is all about the experience. Right. Um, I just can't. Like, I, you know, I'm old school. Like, I need to know who's going to be there. Yeah. I'm not going to blindly pay $200 to go somewhere and see people I may or may not like. Yeah. Well, and I think that that, that too, comes down to looking for something different. So there's definitely validity to wanting to pay that amount of money to go meet new people, to dance, and to, you know, have that experience as opposed to having that relationship with the music. Oh, I compare it to, like, have you ever been to a record store, like a legit We Sell Vinyl record oh, of store? Yeah. And it's like getting a grab bag. Have you ever seen the yeah. brown paper bags? Yep. You know, you spend 20 bucks, you walk out, you have, you have no idea what you just bought. Yeah. That's what I compare this to. Like, you well, literally have no idea what you're buying. I mean, you know... The experience you're getting. Yeah, you know you it's know. gonna be. You know it's gonna be four on the floor. You know it's gonna be a ton of people in a field, muddy or hot or both. <laughs> you know that you're going to interact with the audience more than you interact with the music. I think yeah. that's what you. That's what you sign up for when you go to these big electronic music festivals, where as opposed to if you're, you know. You're so what's the difference out. then? Uh, just getting a bunch of you know, local DJs or announcing a bunch of terrible ones after the fact, like, you know, you don't have to, so you're saying you don't have to bring Calvin Harris or Skrillex or, you know, Zed, Diplo. Well, I'm sure that those, I'm sure those names help. Yeah. Um, and that adds to the familiarity of it. So even if you're going to a festival that you've never been to before, you know, kind of what you're getting into as far as that kind of wide net 
of EDM and festivals. Right. Um, but I think it's very different from, like, a Bonnaroo or a Lollapalooza, where those festivals are centered around the music. And you'll hear from a lot of people that regularly go to them that the experience is not necessarily always the best. No. Uh, you know, like Lala being evacuated last year was miserable for everyone involved. Yeah. But those people are probably going to go back this year because of the music. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the big, the big difference there as far as, you know, EDM festivals versus music festivals. I think one of the things for me coming from, from my background that's been really surprising about EDM becoming so popular is that the majority of those fans, at least from what I've seen going out to parties and clubs and stuff, aren't searching this music out. They're not looking for more, I guess, less commercial electronic music or more intricate electronic music, more complex music. Where, like, when I was a kid, like, you could go to Warp Tour and you could see Blink-182 or Good Charlotte or someone that you've heard on the radio and it's very popular right. at the time. But mixed in in those 50 bands or however many are playing that day you're going to see some really underground shit like The Unseen or Lars Fredrickson and the Bastards. Like, it, you're going to be exposed to other music whether or not you like it. Right. Um, with these EDM festivals, at least from the outside looking in, everyone does sound the same. Right. So there's no exposure to anything new. And I think that that kind of de-incentivize... Is that even a word? Is de-incentivize? De that can't be a word. That doesn't, that doesn't, it doesn't... There's no incentive? Yeah, there we go. There's no incentive <laughs> for people to go out locally and find those artists. Like, um, you know, if I go to, if I go to Warp Tour and I see that walk by a local band playing and I check them out and realize, oh, I actually really like this band, the next week when they're playing in my town, I'm going to go and see them. Right. Or... I don't a, see that happening. I know that at some of these festivals... They do have smaller DJs and artists, but I don't know. I, I don't see these, I don't know what you'd call them, festival goers going to check out these smaller DJs. Right. Well, because I don't really not... think they're in it. I just don't think they're in it for the music or for the love of the genre or, or anything like that. Like, Well, I think part of that, too, is that that's not the experience that they're going for. Right. Well, you know, you don't go to a festival with a hundred and some thousand people to stand at a side stage where five other people are watching this guy play. Right. You know, you go to YOLO and shit. <laughs> Is that a, people still use that word? I'm it's using it, yeah. Thing? I think so. Fuck I'm it. assuming. I'm hip with the kids. Yeah. Yeah, but the music and, well, this whole genre isn't really made the same way other genres are. So, and in the past we're wired to, and record companies are, to make money off of record sales. Right. Right? That's not... I mean, of course, with streaming, that's not of much of a priority anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know, artists make their money off of touring. But now EDM artists make their money off of these festivals. Yeah. Because the music isn't really made to stream over and over again. You could listen to probably 10,000 other songs that sound very familiar. Right. To the one you just heard. So you're not going to be loyal to that artist or that song. That's a really valid point. So they make money. I mean, you know, Obscene someone... Obscene amounts of money. They can make over a million dollars for one festival performance. It's a million dollars for what? 
an hour or two set. Right. Tops. I mean, I know, you know, house DJs in Chicago that go overseas and get paid anywhere between five to $30,000 for, you know, an hour or two. Yeah. Which is crazy. I don't know. There, There's big, big money in DJing because think about it. Like when you're touring, how, how many, you know, when you're touring, what are your expenses? You've got a rig, usually, correct? Right. You've got everyone that's there to help you. Right. You've Was... got to pay all of the venues. Yeah. Then you've got, like, things that you don't really think about. Food. Food. Travel. Yeah. yeah. Places to sleep. Right. Places to clean yourself. Right. And with DJs, they can simply get a residency. They sign one contract at one club. And because it's not a concert hall, it's a residency, they can have a weekly or a monthly. Right. And then their overhead's really low because they're not the ones who are promoting the event or no. who are, you know, insuring the event or anything They're not like responsible for anything besides showing up, playing that show, getting paid and going home. Well, and with a lot of those residencies too, don't, and correct me if I'm wrong, but don't a lot of those clubs have their own equipment? So really you're yeah. just bringing your tracks with you? Yeah. So a laptop at this point? Yeah. Yeah, depending on what equipment you use, typically artists will have in their writer, hey, I need, you know... Yeah, this controller, these, these This CDJs controller, these CDJs, uh, yeah, or, or turntables. Yeah, these turntables. And they'll usually have each of those ready to go. Yeah. Because it's easier to invest in them than to, to rent for specific artists, you right. know? No, with, with like Calvin Harris having a, a residency in Vegas, mm -hmm. like, that's still very destination and like experience based like very similar to to a festival like i i know a couple of people who live in vegas but i doubt that they go to the strip that often i never hear about them right yeah, going no. to that area no. you know it's very much like when i lived in orlando i wasn't going to the fucking theme parks all the time no it's not the people that live there unless they have people visiting right then you want to take them out and do the touristy things yeah so it's still that same kind of experience whereas someone who's more of an underground DJ or, um, you know, even a DJ that's popular within a specific subgenre, that's more of a, that's more of a music driven thing. You're going to see the DJ not to be in that club in Las Vegas while this person that you can tweet about plays. Well, it's a different experience. Right. And I mean, I don't think, or I don't, it doesn't seem like the people who are going to these festivals are searching out these different experiences. And the, the artists that they're, that they're flocking to or that, that seem to be really popular within these genres don't provide different experiences for the listeners. You know, whereas someone like, like Derek Carter, you could see him in Detroit at a huge festival. You can see him in Chicago at a tiny club. And that's something that I think is a lot different too from like the, the kind of rock genres that have gotten popular, that those artists came up the same way that the underground artists did. Mm -hmm. You know, Blink-182 was touring the same shithole clubs that like people like The Unseen or The Distillers or whatever were playing. They were just more accessible and more commercial, so they got that level of popularity that these other artists didn't. I don't see a Calvin Harris or a Zed or, or anybody, like they're not at Smart Bar. No. And they didn't come up through that. They're not artists who have, you know, I'm not saying that they haven't put in work, but they haven't gone through the same grind that the underground has. Right. And, and a club like Smart Bar is a little more inclusive. 
right? So the people that frequent there go there because they know the kind of artists that they're going to bring through. Yeah. They know that they're going to be these people that have sort of earned the right to be there. That's something that I think makes the underground kind of almost untouchable to people who are into Top 40 or who are into these EDM festivals. Yeah, like I'm curious when we started talking about this, because hip-hop for me, you know, I started in the late 90s, you know, became a gateway for me to go backwards into the genre and sort of pick out some of the artists that I liked, right? So I got into Common on his third album. And I'm still probably, I still like probably like his second or first, you know, the best. Yeah. So yeah, like is EDM a gateway drug to earlier electronic music, like house music? No, no, I don't think so. It is. I don't think it is at all. The drive or the draw to that music or that culture or whatever is not the music. It's the experience of going to that festival. You know, when we talk about these festivals costing three or $400, you know, you're not going to be able to do more than a couple of them in a year. You know, not to mention the fact if you're like us and you live in the Midwest, you're going to have to travel. Right. So in addition to your concert ticket expenses, you've got food and a hotel or you're dealing with camping or whatever. Um, so it's not something you're going to do more than a few times a year. Right. Whereas when I was going, it was it was a weekly event. Yeah. If if. You know, if you know, not more. Right. You know, you start going out on, on Fridays or Saturdays, and then you realize that there's a DJ that you really like, or there's a promoter that you really like, and oh, now they've got an event on Thursday, I'm going to go and check this out. Yep. And then, you know, oh, there's an after hours on Sunday, you know, Sunday morning after mm-hmm. the party on Saturday, so I'm going to go check that out. Yep. So that's, I think, more of a culture, or more of a, it's more of a hooky environment. Is that, I don't know, does it make sense? No, it was just... It's more frequent because it is smaller venues. It's more local, of course. I mean, every weekend, though, they would bring someone. Yeah. You know, whether it was um, Daft Punk, Rabbit in the Moon, people from out of the country. I forgot about Rabbit in the Moon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Totally saw them in Wisconsin. Yes. Bunny. (laughs) (laughs) We wouldn't pay any more. You know, at most was $30. Yeah. I remember being upset that, you know, it cost that much because... Typically, parties were about five. Right. But five I mean, bucks. But when we talk about artists like Rabbit in the Moon, mm-hmm. especially, or Daft Punk. Right. Like, they were really fucking subversive artists. Yeah. Like, Rabbit in the Moon has a, if you don't know, goop, like, fucking, I know we talked shit about watching YouTube concerts, but do yourself a favor and check out Rabbit in the Moon Live. They have a performance artist that works with them, so it's like a combination of it's a this, show. Yeah, this great music plus this visual art that is, you know, for lack of a better term, like confrontational and rebellious. Yeah. And with with EDM, like I was saying, like my dad legit likes Avicii. You know, he's old. He's, he's an he's, old. He's an old. He is not the demographic to go to these festivals. No. The music doesn't matter. That's not the rebellious portion of it. That's not the the subversive part. It's the festival itself. Right. You know, when you hear, you know, all of these complaints about how popular EDM is getting and the fears and the worries about the festivals, it doesn't have anything to do with the music. It doesn't have anything to do with it creating a culture that's going to, you know, enact any sort of lasting change in the world or even No, the not at all. Culture. It's a business. It's a business and the concern is that there are kids doing drugs in a field. Right. That's it. With the parties, it wasn't 
branded or there weren't sponsors. Right. And that's all the festivals are now. Right. Sponsors everywhere. And everyone's trying to sell you something. You know, the most you would get sold at these parties were glow sticks. Right. <laughs> you know, you had merch tables full of glow sticks. Yeah. And water. Maybe the occasional ring pop. Right. <laughs> I think the other big thing about it is that it does need to be said that we're, while we're friends of electronic music, we're not frequently EDM festivals. No. I have lots of friends who go to them and right. really enjoy them, but I'm not going. No. It's, it's not, it doesn't appeal to me. It's not for me. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to knock it. Like, if that's your thing, that's cool. Like, you know, I equate it to, to raves and to parties because that's something I went to and they're not, that's not really something you can do these days. So if that's your way of having a similar experience, then I'm not going to knock it. But the reason why I brought up the question of, you know, EDM being gateway to house music too is because disclosure. Yeah. Right. That I feel they, I don't feel that they really fit necessarily under this EDM umbrella. I think their songs <laughs> are much more thought out and laid out. I don't know. I don't, I don't think they're laid out necessarily to sell to the masses. Like these guys have musical talent and they bring in other artists. Right. But yeah. they sound like it's crazy because they're from, they're super young. They're early twenties. Yep. And they're, they're from the UK, but they sound like they grew up in Chicago listening to house music the whole time. Well, I think that's, I think that's the difference. They come into the game knowing their history. And that's a thing that is really big in other genres. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you remember on Diddy's Making the Band, <laughs> where he set them all up in the studio and wanted them to, to bust out Sugar Hill. And when they didn't, mm-hmm. he ripped them all a new ass. Yeah, like, how can you not know? How can you not know where you came from? Like, the first hip-hop song ever made. Right. You know, just like in in rock music and, you know, within... Even within a genre as, like, within pop-punk, if there were an art... If there there have been artists that have come up saying, like, oh, you know, I I grew up listening to Blink-182. But if they're not able to name-check the Descendants, like, we're not going to pay any attention to you. Right. That makes sense. I I don't think I've read any... Um, interviews are heard of any, you know, like there's a- Tiesto, Avicii, Calvin Harris, Diplo, any of these guys saying, oh, hey, I'm really influenced by yeah. dot, dot, dot. I think within that kind of troop, like Dead Mouse is the only one. Yeah. Um, I've read interviews with him before where he talks about He's how actually he used an intelligent to, dude. Right. Yeah. And how he used to sneak into parties in New York. Yeah. I mean, even Daft Punk, their very first album. Which I know a lot of people are into it, you know, four or five albums in. Their first album, Homework, if you listen to the track Teachers, yes. by far my favorite, and they list... They're teachers. Right. <laughs> which which are like... straight up. Like 80% all Chicago house, you know, DJs. Right. That most, you know, whether or not they're relevant still today, like, damn. Yeah. Like, giving props to these guys, like, I don't, I don't know. It's still my favorite track, partially because I know a lot of the people that right, they're referring yeah. to, you know, and, and I was listening to them before that album came out. It, it is cool just to see that they recognize them. Well, and I, I think the other, the other point to be made is that, you know, that kind of old trope that if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And what seems to be happening a lot within EDM music is it's just a lot of different artists stealing from each other. Now we're two, three years in, and it's starting to become very stale and predictable. 
Derek Carter, who you mentioned earlier, who's a Chicago House DJ, went on this tirade against what he considered Derp House. Derp House. Hashtag Derp House. Hashtag Derp House. The tweets are, they're dead on. Uh, if every track you play has a gratuitous, unnecessary breakdown in it, you might be Derp House. If that Korg M1 or Yamaha DX preset is your default bass sound, you might be Derp House. Yep. Like, if we can, if we can call out your preset bass lines... We know. Yeah. Yep. I think that the artists creating this music probably, they're not thinking, oh, I'm going to push this genre or I'm going to, to create something other than, like, this is going to keep the party going. Whereas the kind of pioneers of electronic music definitely wanted to keep the party going, but they wanted to do it in a way that was interesting and complex and pushed the boundaries of what people considered to be dance music. And they did it together created labels together, record labels together, not just alone. They would run together in the same group. You know, they would have a name. Yeah, like the, the like, DJ gangs, basically. It was basically like... DJ gang? Yeah, I don't know what you guys call it. I don't know what you all <laughs> call that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that happens in, that happens in rock music, that happens in hip-hop, where you have, like, labels Your or crews yep. in... In like rock and punk and, and hardcore, you go, they'll have lots of label tours. So there will be, you know, all the bands on one label are going to go on tour together. And they all promote each other and they all support each other. And that feeds into it being a real sustainable culture. You know, I remember 10 years ago, you know, it, it, still, it still blows my mind when I'm walking through the mall or walking down the street and I see a kid that still has the same, like, scened-out fucking look that my friends and I were rocking 15 years ago. Yeah. Because it's this real sustainable culture that has a history, that knows its history, and that hands it off to the next generation. Right. And I think we're really looking at a bubble that's about to burst with EDM. I do. And did you hear? Actually, Avicii just put a letter up on his website stating he's retiring from touring. Oh. He's done. So good for him. Right, yeah. Like foreseeing yeah, the end of this. Getting out before the end. I know and I, I guess I feel like I've kind of picked on Avicii by saying that my old man likes it. But mm-hmm. um he's an artist that has actually tried to push the boundaries of EDM and got the shit kicked out of him for it. Right. Um, you know, a few years ago in Miami, he busted out the whole Cotton Eye Joe thing. Yeah. Which you know, objectively, it was a pretty fucking terrible idea. It was. Songs were pretty bad. It was kind of like uh, Nelly doing that country song. Yes. Yeah. Gross. Right. But kudos him. For trying to like... For trying something different. Right. Push the boundaries. Think outside of the box. Bring dance music to a different level. Yeah. While I don't agree with it, I agree with his intentions. Yeah. I think I do have one of his songs saved because I like the sample. And I was like, that's dope. Yeah. You know, it sounded like... Basement jacks. Like, I think that's the thing with EDM is that as opposed to it being this culture that's sustained by, you know, driving passion for an art form, it's really a point-and-click culture that's being sustained by the internet and FOMO. The fuck is FOMO? You know what FOMO? Fear of missing out. Come on, girl. What? Get with it. Get with the dimes. Fear of missing out. Yes. Okay. So, So, yeah, like... For instance, if I'm I'm not necessarily into EDM, mm-hmm. 
but I see all of my friends Instagramming from that festival that they went to, and it looks like they're just having the best fucking time, I'm probably going to go to that festival. That's true. But if I'm not a fan of EDM and I hear one of those artists, I'm probably not going to go out to the festival to see them. No, and I think now with social media, it's just, it's in your face. Yeah. Right? It's like advertisement. Like your friends are the advertisement for them. That's why, you know, you go to these events and they're like, hey, post this hashtag FOMO, YOLO, hashtag whatever the fuck. Hashtag this festival. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, and it's super clever marketing, but yeah, like I've, I've seen lots of pictures on my social media feeds where these festivals have set things up specifically so you Instagram it. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of them are really fucking cool. Like, I think it was Coachella a few years ago that had the giant spaceman. Yes. Um, and some of them are really fucking lame. Like, a cardboard frame for you and your friends to put your faces through that already has a hashtag written on it. Cool. Just <laughs> take my own picture. Right. And, yeah. It's very well marketed. It's very well branded. It's very well sold. But I don't think it's authentic. I agree. You know what I'm hoping will happen. What's that? The same thing that happened in 1979 at Comiskey Park in Chicago when they deemed that disco was dead. Should we have a, an EDM? Please. An EDM sucks party? Everyone throws their phones into a fire? What would what, you How throw? would we even do that? Um, your wristbands? Oh, yes. Yeah, your wristbands. Uh, what else do you get from these parties? Is there... Um, is Wait, hang on. Is there a visible EDM culture? Cause that's the that's the other thing. Like you look at a kid who listens to punk rock, you know they listen to punk rock. Right. If you look at a fucking raver, you know they're you know, a raver. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm envisioning okay for the dude a bro tank with some colored sunglasses. But is that right? But is that like it could be anybody? Is that the uniform of their subculture, or is that just practical because they're You're, gonna go, it's hot as fuck? Yeah, it's hot as fuck in here. Yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> apparently, like, mom jean shorts, strapless things are... Yes, yes. I love a good high-waisted jean and a flower crown. Yes. That's that's what I picture. Yeah. You know? So maybe we can throw out some flower crowns. Pupils the size of quarters. <laughs> we can just have a big bonfire. Yeah. And throw everything in for a big old EDM is dead. Right. End it all with, like, a fucking Kraftwerk concert. Something yes. <laughs> really hard to listen to. But really good. Really good. One of the signs to me that EDM is the bubble that's about to burst is that now they have payment plans Shut for up. these concert tickets. Shut up. So if you if you have to have a payment plan for tickets to go to this festival, you're that's pricing your yourself. Hint yeah. That it's too fucking much. You're pricing yourself out of your demographic. Yeah. Unless something can happen, you know? Right, yeah. See, and unless I would... somebody can turn something around and try something different with it, I'm all here. But I would say that this bubble's going to burst and the original underground electronic music, house music, is here to stay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's that sub- sustainable subculture. Right. I'm, I'm very hopeful that the people who are into EDM right now, all of these people spending all of this money on art, basically will continue to once they get beyond festival-going age, but I'm skeptical at best. Agreed. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. 
If you want more, who wouldn't, right? Check us out on all of the social medias. That's right. You can find us on Twitter at Eruption, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Eruption, or on our homepage, eruptionmusic.com. 